You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Bonjour, ici c'est Pierre-Edouard Belmar de Lightning de Tampa Bay. Bienvenue à Paris. Oh, well, thank you, Mr. Pierre-Edouard Belmar, a native of France. And here we are, Elliot, at the Players Media Tour in Paris, which is lovely this time of year, which I suspect is lovely any time of year. Uh, you'll hear the Belmar interview in a couple of weeks. On today's podcast, you will hear from Deputy Commissioner of the NHL, Bill Daly, and Leon Dreisaitl in what I thought was a really interesting interview. Uh, Dreisaitl, of course, of the Edmonton Oilers, and Dreisaitl talks candidly about the injury and how gentlemanly everybody else was <laughs> on the ice who stayed away from relentlessly chopping at his feet. And there will be some more coming. There will yeah. be uh, Jacob Markstrom will be coming, Tim Stutzler will be coming, Nico Heischer. Uh, there were a lot of really Sebastian Ajo. Uh, Jacob Verana was really good. Jacob Verana was very good. There were a lot of really good uh, snippets that we're going to get to, and it's just nice to see people. It is, and we haven't done a podcast in a while, Elliot. So I'll face to face. I'll refresh you on how this works. So usually I start it off and I say something thoughtful, uh, insightful, gripping, usually curious as well. And then you come in and say something that the audience will immediately forget. <laughs> That's the way it's going to go, Elliot. So uh, let's begin with a quick discussion. Yes. Well, first of all. First interruption. Congratulations. Yeah, for, well, first of all, you should talk about your trip yesterday. So, oh, yeah, yeah. To Mannheim. So this is Wednesday and in Paris. And where were you on Tuesday? Mannheim. Yes, so and I'm going there tomorrow. So a couple of days tomorrow. in Mannheim. You're going to Mannheim to do something with Stutzla on Thursday. So, yeah, it was nice. Emil and I flew in and spent an evening with the gang from Adler Mannheim mm -hmm. uh, of the DEL, the organization and the, the program that's graduated players uh, like Leon Dreisaitl, like Tim Stutzla, like Moritz Seider into the NHL. Mannheim is a fascinating place in Germany. Germany is soccer country. Mm -hmm. We all know that. Soccer is the dominant sport. Football, but, as Victor Hedman told us. I apologize. Football. Football. Yes. But Mannheim is this hockey-crazed city in the middle of soccer country. And at the uh, at SAP, at the rink there, they, they pack it. It holds 13,600 people. And they fill the building. And they're loud. And they're rowdy. And they love their eagles. And it's a really wonderful program that they've put together, uh, the Hopp family. Daniel Hopp is, is one of the owners, his son, Dietmar, who's a partner in the original SAP with Hassel Plattner. 
bought the team years ago, they run a really great program and had a chance to talk to Daniel for about half an hour and explain how the whole thing works and how they bring players into the system and take them all the way up and some graduate to pro hockey and others just have a wonderful life experience. Talk to Axel Oliveira, who's the general manager, mm-hmm. uh, also a former pro player in uh, in Europe, and he's he's coached up a lot of these players as well. And then had a chance to do a walk and talk and a sit down with Moritz Sider nice. on Tuesday, which uh, that was a nice sit down. And you'll hear from Moritz Sider here on this podcast yes, in the next couple of weeks. Too. We sat down with him as well. So my first trip to Germany and my first trip to France yeah. on this one. Yeah, this is my first time in France too, and and I am going to Germany tomorrow. So looking forward to it. It was, uh, like I said, it's great to get out yeah. and see people. True. Now, uh, news: Colorado Nathan McKinnon. Well, he just had his uh, Stanley Cup party. He did uh, Alex Newhook had his too? David Amber, I think, hosted that one. Yes. Yeah, in uh, in Newfoundland. And this comes out of the uh, the Kadri situation. We'll talk about Kadri signing in Calgary in a few minutes. But Kadri, I think his initial first choice was to go back to the Avalanche, and obviously that didn't happen. And I think one of the things that's kind of coming out of there in the aftermath is that I'm really curious to see where we're going to end up contract wise with Nathan McKinnon here. Okay, so just so everybody knows, he's on the final year of his yes. of his deal, 6.3 million dollars is the AAV, that is going to get a boost. Yeah, so the word I've heard is that, you know, they've been talking. Now, look, I think it's going to be a big number. I think the best way for me to say it is I think it's going to be a big number. I think it's a possibility, but not guaranteed. But I think it's a possibility that Nathan McKinnon could end up being the highest paid player in the league. Now, right now, that's Connor McDavid at 12 and a half by AAV. I think it's possible. Even if he isn't, I think it's going to be a big number. And so I think one of the reasons, and I think the Avalanche were also concerned about term. I don't necessarily think they were willing to go as long for term as for Kadri as the Flames and the Islanders were. But I do believe that the McKinnon deal is about to be a very big one. And it's possible, although not guaranteed, he could end up as the highest paid player in the league. You know, if the Avalanche do do this and it does end up being as as high as it could possibly be, I don't think people are going to argue with it. He's that good and he's that important. The other thing, too, is you look at it, you know, McCarr is at nine. Ranton is at nine two five. McKinnon's going to be a total UFA. That's the push. And you'll hear Bill Daly talk about how they're optimistic the cap is going to go up a little sooner than they thought. So this is a big one. I'm sure the Avalanche probably wanted to keep it uh, a little bit lower, still double digits. But like I said, it's it's possible this one uh, goes into highest paid player in the NHL territory or close to it. That's really interesting. So I, I wonder then too, because we've got players like Rantanen and Landeskog and McCarr and soon to be Nathan McKinnon on really rich contracts, like really good, healthy contracts. And you look at what's on the horizon and you wonder what someone like Bowen Byram uh, is going to command. And boy, did he look good last year. Mm-hmm. And then you wonder where Colorado. So Colorado is still in their Stanley Cup window. So the McKinnon deal is going to be the McKinnon deal. They've lost Nazem Kadri. You wonder who they would look to bring in maybe on just a one-year. This is what I'm curious about. Do they bring anyone in on a one-year deal? 
this year just to, hey, we lost Kadri, couldn't give him a longer-term deal. Let's bring in player X on a one-year deal. And you know who I'm thinking about. Who are you thinking about? It's early in the podcast season, but let's say JT Miller. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name that I wonder about. Uh, I don't know. I I think they could do what they did last year, which is kind of let it play out and see what becomes available. I think it's going to be interesting to see what this all means for the Avalanche. I don't think that's an organization that's satisfied with everything. I think they're going to go for it again. And, you know, as you said, he's got one more year. McKinnon does at this number. So it might give you even more reason to try it. But I just think that the, his extension, I'm really curious to see what it is because, like I said, the whispers are is it's going to be very big. Okay, Kadri. You talked a little bit about Nazem Kadri, the newest member of the Calgary Flames. Seven times seven is the deal. You mentioned his first choice would have been to go back to the Stanley Cup champion Avalanche. He ends up a flame. So that was announced last Thursday, I think it was. And... There were rumors going around a few days beforehand that it was a done deal. The Flames did confirm that eventually, that that it was. But th- what they were really trying to do was they really wanted to keep a lid on it because they had to make the Monaghan trade. And I think they had more than one option. I think some of them potentially fell through. But they really wanted to create a situation where they weren't getting squeezed by saying, oh, we've got Kadri locked in, but we still have to make the move. I think that was a strategy on their part, and clearly that turned out to be the case. You know, Kadri, like I said, I think he was really interested in the Avalanche. I don't think the Avalanche were willing to do term. You know, the Islanders, it's so tough. Like, you know, I always feel for reporters who do this. I never thought the Islanders and Kadri were done. I was specifically warned against saying anything like that, that it would be a mistake to do it at at a point. You know, I I feel bad for other reporters. I know what it's like to do this job and, you know, it, it doesn't go right. It really sucks. I just don't think it was ever done with the Islanders. And obviously it wasn't. The one thing I think that really helped the Flames was they were the most aggressive team. Like Calgary's whole summer turned when Uyghur and Huberto were put on the table. I think when they lost Goudreau and they were in danger of losing Kachuk, they were sitting there and they were saying, what are we going to be? Like, where are we going here? Like, I think their attitude was, if we can find good players, we'll try to run it back with the rest of our group. And all of a sudden, two really good players got thrown at them. So I think that's where it really ramped up for them. Like, they started to believe, you know what, we can still be very good. And Kadri said it. They, I think it's true. I think they were very aggressive. Like, I, I think their offer for a long time was better than Colorado's or the Islanders or anyone else's out there. Colorado, as I said, they had a limit. And I think the Islanders eventually got closer to where the Flames were. I, it's so tough with them because you don't get any news. I just got the sense that it took them longer to get yeah. to where Calgary was willing to go. And I think that played a factor. I mean, ultimately, I think the Islanders couldn't clear the room. I've gotten the impression that it took them longer to get to where Calgary was willing to go. Last summer was an impressive one for Brad Living. Yeah, uh, that was a really good off season for Brad for living, and then during the season, and you know the Toffoli trade is the obvious one. I'm still shocked at how Trilliving was able to take such a bad situation that he was handed 
and turn it into this. Well, it doesn't happen if those two players are available. 100% true. Yeah. All of a sudden now, like they go from having the best first line in the NHL and two thirds of it are gone now. You go, oh, geez. You bring in Huberto, that softens the blow. You bring in Nazem Kadri. Is this guy built for the Battle of Alberta or what? Yeah. Now you look with the addition of Mackenzie Weger, Calgary's got one of the best blue lines in the NHL. Absolutely. And I think the thing the Flames deserve a lot of credit for is not acting all woe is me. Like, I think they could have been, you know, thumb sucking all summer and they didn't do it. And you look at Sutter, the coach, like, all he's going to say is, give me good players and we can make it work. And I think the owner's aggressive that way. And I think the GM's aggressive that way. And I think that's what it really came down to. Once those guys were thrown on the table, they realized that they could make it work. And uh, look, the, this league is one in goal. They have Markstrom, who had a great year last year. Yep. Edmonton, that's the one thing he's got to figure out. His numbers against Edmonton weren't very good. But you know, Markstrom had a great year last year. Their D, as you said, is very deep. They're excellent. All of a sudden, that blue line's fantastic. All of a sudden, down the middle, you're you're coming at people with some combination of Backlund, Cadre, Lindholm. Like that's how you win in this league: is down the middle, on the blue line, and in goal. They have a mix of all of that, all of it. And so, you know, I, I agree with you. I think they were probably in shock. And they found a way to crawl out of it. And I don't think they're done either. Like, I think they're going to add another forward. I wouldn't be surprised if they've sniffed around on Evan Rodriguez. Mm. You know, Phil Kessel's name has been mentioned locally there. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Thursday morning insert. It was 7 a.m. in Mannheim when my alarm went off to wake up on Thursday morning. And there was the news that overnight, at least overnight here in Germany, the Vegas Golden Knights had signed Phil Kessel to a one-year, $1.5 million deal. Great news for Kessel, who can actually tie the consecutive games played record on October 24th with Toronto, one of his former teams in Vegas. He could potentially break it the next night in San Jose, one of the Golden Knights' fiercest rivals, and could play his 1,000th consecutive game if all goes according to plan in November against the Arizona Coyotes. So we'll see how this all goes. Kessel uh, was one of the players who I think was kind of held up by what was happening with the likes of Nazem Kadri, but Kadri signs, Kessel has a new home. A couple of interesting factors there. I think Calgary was interested in Kessel. I do think there was legitimate interest from the Flames to bring him in, and I'm wondering if the Flames zero in on Evan Rodriguez now, formerly of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it's a move for the Golden Knights that soothes one loss that they had, and that was Paul Stasny. Uh, Stasny, who we, as we originally mentioned later in the podcast, signed with the Carolina Hurricanes, I think turned down more money from Vegas than he got in Carolina, uh, but he chose to go to the Hurricanes this season. Uh, Stasny skates in Vegas. The Golden Knights were interested in him. Jeff had also mentioned at the podcast he heard Dallas had interest in Stasny, but he chooses to go to the Hurricanes. Now, back to our program. Interesting times. Um, you mentioned the Edmonton Oilers a couple of seconds ago. Uh, Pat Kane. 
Yeah, so this one has been hot locally. Um, uh, uh, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not they're going to make a, a run at Patrick Kane. Uh, I, I think it's legitimate that they'd like to. I don't have any reason to believe that uh, this talk is hot air, like the stuff that we emit on this podcast. I think see this my is, previous point. I of think forgetting something that you say immediately. I think this is legitimate air, not uh, hot <laughs> air. And um, the thing I think is, it's that what do the Blackhawks want to do, and what does Patrick Kane want to do? First of all, is Chicago ready to do it? They've been adamant that they're not going to Kane or Taves or Jones unless those players come to them. So that's position number one. And position number two, and and I think that this is a key thing, is what makes more sense for Patrick Kane? Picking somewhere now or waiting during the season to see who's good? I'm not really worried about the Oilers. I, I think they're going to be okay. But I do think that I think that's one of the things that's kind of been discussed here by both the team and the player is, do we do it now or do we wait to see who's good? And I think option B might be the preferred option. Anything else Edmonton's looking for? You know, I, I do think before uh, he ended up in Anaheim, I, I do think they were looking at Klingberg. I think they were trying to do something with another team, potentially in Montreal, where... Klingberg would sign there and maybe get traded to Edmonton and Montreal, Montreal would, hang on to 50% would, or, whatever. Or, or take a bid and the Oilers would make do a sweetener and maybe they'd have to move a player too. But I, I do think that was, that was talked about. The, the same kind of thing would have to happen in any type of Pat Kane deal too. For going to Edmonton, well, like Sh- Chicago is going to have to chomp on I think on, that could be a half. double retention. Where Kane is traded somewhere else. That's what all of our listeners understand. That just means two teams hold yes. salary. So essentially he would go from Chicago to another team. Both those teams would hold, and then he would end up on Edmonton. Not only the Oilers, but I think other teams who've been looking into Kane have been looking at double retention uh, situations. And speaking of Klingberg and a team signing him and trading him elsewhere— Someone had mentioned to me they thought that might have happened with Kadri, that if the Islanders were to sign him, hmm. that another team might sign him first and then trade him so that it would be easier for the Islanders to make it work. That was one of the situations that was thrown out out there. And it, it was interesting. I listened, even though we're overseas, I listened to some of Lou Lamorello's comments uh, the other day, and um, I was really curious about it. I had a feeling the Romanov was coming in around two and a half to three million. I was right about that. I heard some real rumors that Dobson might come in like at a bigger number, like six, six and a half. Clearly, I was wrong really, eh? about that. It's the Islanders, man. Like you just, <laughs> you know, who knows? But the one thing I did hear was that they had a real difficult time opening up the room, and that was discussed for him. But like, there's a podcast out there on the Islanders. It's called Islanders Anxiety, and there, there's a lot of it right now. Lamorello's not going to worry about that. He's going to try to be positive and put the right frame on any situation. I think you should also never assume that he's done. He could do anything at any time. But the one thing I do believe is that there's a feeling there that, look, they don't have a long road trip at the beginning of the season. They felt their year got ruined last year by COVID. They really feel that they're better than they showed last year. And we'll see. 
We'll see where it goes. Uh, a couple of more news bits before we move along and bring you Leon Dreisaitl and NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, the news out of Montreal is not good as it relates to Carey Price. Yep. Uh, Kent Hughes saying essentially tough to see a path where he comes back to play. Yeah, I, I think everybody's been kind of bracing for this. I mean, that's why it was so important that they moved Shea Weber's deals. They didn't have $18 million in LTIR. That's almost impossible to deal with. It's too bad to see, really. I mean, um, like I, I see this debate about is Carrier Price a Hall of Famer? Like To me, it's a no-doubter. It's not only the NHL Hall of Fame, it's the Hockey Hall of Fame, right? And yeah. uh, he was the anchor of the best defensive hockey team I've seen in my lifetime, which was the 2014 gold medal winning hockey team in Sochi. Like to me, he's an absolute, no doubt, Hall of Fame player. You know, the, one of the things that I, I could see, I don't know this to be true, but I've kind of wondered about is, you know, the Canadians had a lot of issues last year proclaiming that Shea Weber was done forever. The league really battled them on that. So I'm sure they're being careful and making sure they walk through this properly with how the league feels about Price. But I'm sorry to see it. And if it is his end, I'm glad that he got to end it on his own terms on ice at the end of last season. Uh, one other quick note about the Montreal Canadiens. Anything on Kirby Doc? I heard some uh, rumors about a potential extension last weekend, but I, I was told that was premature. One of the things I heard was, is that the two sides are talking about a bridge deal, but there's different lengths. It's So don't assume three, don't assume two, don't assume four. It, it could be different ideas and concepts along those lines. And Paul Stastny, uh, signs of the Carolina Hurricanes, one year, 1.5. You know who liked that move? Stastny? Well, I'm sure he did because he signed it. <laughs> but also Sebastian Ajo was, was yes. very happy about it, who we talked to she today. We'll find out why yeah. as we release the Ajo interview <laughs> at some point. You know, I, I got to tell you, I heard there was a lot of interest. Nobody should be surprised. Um, Dallas was interested. Dallas was interested. But I, I heard one of the teams was Vegas. And uh, he skates with some of those guys. And I think Vegas actually offered him more money. and uh, But he went to Carolina instead. The one thing that was funny about this whole Kadri situation is apparently like there were players around the league texting like, "Will he please sign? Would you please sign so <laughs> other people can go to work and, and get jobs? And I don't know that Stasny was doing that. I'm sure he was very comfortable. He was going to find it, but not a surprise that, you know, that kind of ended and, and he kind of came in. But I, I, you know, I heard he had some better offers, including potentially one from Vegas and he, he passed it up to go to Carolina. You know, Jeff, before we uh, wrap it up, I just wanted to mention uh, Alexander Texier. The um, uh, Blue Jackets announced on Wednesday that he will be spending the year in Europe. Uh, he's been through a lot. Uh, he had a leave of absence at the end of last season after two uh, family members passed away. And he chose to stay in Europe. And uh, Jarmo Kekalainen and the Blue Jackets are supporting it. And just wanted to wish Texier the best because uh, it's clear and understandably so. He's been through a lot and uh, all the best in his mental health and recovery. Okay. Uh, so that's the latest. Um, we're going to hit pause quickly and come back. You will hear from NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. But up first, a really interesting interview here. Some really interesting comments from Leon Dreisaitl of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, here, Big Leon, when 32 Thoughts returns.
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Leon Dreisaitl with us. And Leon, uh, as we keep watching this game get faster and faster and faster and foot speed and foot speed, uh, you proved in the playoffs you don't actually have to skate to be an elite <laughs> player in the NHL. We'll, we'll try to get as much information out of you as possible about the injury. Not try. Not try. Like We, we, we watched your end of season media conference. You're like, I'm not talking about the injuries. It's been months. Because we all saw those highlights. Holy jeez. What were you dealing with? Obviously, it was a, a high ankle sprain. Uh, I think everyone knew that. But, it, yeah, I mean, if the second I would catch it in a game, just the toe would get stuck or just twisted in a direction where normally, like, it does nothing, the pain would just shoot right up my body, take all my energy out. So it was definitely painful it was very painful uh there's a lot of a lot of treatment going on but like i said you know there's lots of guys that that obviously play through injuries so it was something that i had to deal with and it took me a little while to get the hang of it of changing my game a little bit because there was the game after i was trying to push off and i just had no pop no jump and i was getting frustrated with it because i was like oh i can't beat guys like i don't know what to do now so and it's not like i'm the best skater in the world to begin with <laughs> um but yeah it's just had to change my game a little bit uh slow it down even more if that's even possible so yeah it's just well you became the best stationary player maybe the game has ever seen like, we were joking about that like like Dreisaitl's piling up points here and he's not moving like this is this isn't how you're supposed to play hockey in 2022 like yeah the best stationary player ever i don't you can you can <laughs> You can make that statement. I'm not going <laughs> to jump in on that. But um, it was interesting, though. I liked it because I had to change my game. And it kind of, I think, uh, showed me that, you know, there's a way that I can become better in a way with doing almost less, you know, yeah. which was, uh, I was very interested by that part of the game that, you know, when you're healthy, you, you try and play your best. You try and play with speed. You try and play fast. Yeah. I didn't have that to my game. So I tried to find a way to be productive in, in a different way. And I thought I'd, yeah, I did a, I did a pretty good job of that. Well, you sure did. There's no question about that. I just want like, were you injured going into the playoffs and then, the, and then against the Kings that got aggravated on that one play? Is that how it all went down? No. I mean, I did have a, a couple things going into the playoffs, mm -hmm. but nothing major, but 
it was just game six in the first period against uh, when you LA. were pulled that, down. That, yeah, the the scrum just. Mm-hmm. I actually think I got very lucky. Like I I, I heard it pop right away because I fell back in my leg. If you watch it, you can see my leg just being stuck there. Um, yeah, uh, it, it was it was scary because I've been very fortunate with staying healthy so far. So it was a big uh, big mental thing for me to figure out a way to still be productive. Mm-hmm with playing injured i've never i've never really been injured in my in in my career so far knock on wood but i think it it, yeah it evolved me as a as a player a little bit well i think everybody watching was was unbelievably impressed with how you played and was there ever a moment leon where anyone said to you you can't play or you ever said i might not be able to play yeah i mean i think the game after game seven was close it was it was questionable it was close yeah eh? i i actually skated in the morning on the other ice where so no you one, had yeah on the other <laughs> ice to try and test it out and it was like it was awful it was so bad i could i couldn't i could barely stand up but then the adrenaline kicks in and yeah you know you're warming up and and you see i don't know ten thousand people in the stands already and your your adrenaline kicks in a little bit and and it becomes a lot a lot easier it was nice though how every other team you know it's such a you know such a gentlemanly game they stayed away from the injury they didn't try to aggravate you whatsoever you must have really appreciated that Leon. yeah i love that it's lovely it's amazing no it was uh i was laughing when when um we played the flames and some of them started hacking my left ankle and i was like you have no idea yeah i don't know what you're doing here like <laughs> Did you ever say, you know, hey, it's the other one? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it was it's like, the dude, other one. <laughs> this one's hurting. Don't... So. Hey, you know, I wanted to ask you about that series, Leon, because I still look back at that, and they win game one, and they're winning game two, and it looks like you guys are really in trouble. And that series changed like that. What changed it? Where did that series turn around? Well, I think what changed it to before that a little bit is that we were, I think, game, we were, what was it, 7-2 or something? We came all the way back mm-hmm. to 7-6, and, mm. and we had chances to tie it up late too. So I think that put a little bit of doubt in their mind maybe that, you know, you got to be careful with this team because – and we did it again against the Colorado game one, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we just continue to play. We play our game. And then game two, uh, I think we were down two nothing again, right? Against yeah, you were down mm-hmm. two nothing, and yeah, they completely outplayed us. They were clearly the better team. Like we we didn't have anything going, and then I think we scored one, and then we kind of found our legs and we got going a little bit, and then I think we just really found our game, especially game three and four at home. Like we really played well, and they they really didn't get much, especially game three. I think we 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 really dominated. But it was a it was a very fun series. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. One of your teammates said to me, like we were, I was talking about him with that about that series, and he said, "I never thought we were in trouble." I'm like, "Really?" Like I, I'm I was watching that. I thought you guys were in huge trouble. He goes, "We never thought we were in trouble," yeah. and I, I was amazed by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I never had the feeling that we were in trouble either. Um, obviously, there's moments in the game, especially game two, when you're down two nothing, you're like. Oh man, we better not let this get to three nothing. But 
I think we just kind of got rolling a little bit when we when we made a two one, and then we, yeah, we just kind of got into a groove and, and just played our game. You know, we make a lot of the Battle of Alberta in the media. It's a great and easy story to tell. It's low hanging fruit, and we'll take it because <laughs> yeah. low hanging fruit is still yeah. nutritious, and that's always been my point. Uh, <laughs> but what is it from a player's point of view? Like in in your room playing Calgary, is it just okay? Well, we played the Kings last, and we're gonna play Colorado next, or like, or is it? Is there some extra spice there? I think there definitely is some extra spice there, especially, you know, we finished one and two in, the, in our division. And obviously with the history of, of both organizations going on, and I think there was a stat that it was the first time since 1990 or something that the Oilers and Flames faced each other. So there's a lot of... Yeah. And the media can hype it up a lot and the too, fans, right? Like the it, fans, it, it, too, fans like and you media. You can tell it means to the oh yeah, fans. big yeah. time. Yeah. Both cities, right? Yeah. Calgary too. You can yeah. feel it. Like there's just something in the air, and I think those are just the most fun games. There was so much tension for two yeah. weeks. There was so much going on, and every game was so hyped up. So yeah, it was so much fun being a part of it. Obviously, it made it a lot better being on the good side of it, no question. But yeah, and, and, and obviously the last couple of years, the, the history with Cassian and Kachuk, all, all those things, you know, there's so much yeah. little little pieces that were going on. It just made it all uh, made it all very, very enjoyable. So how does it change? Kachuk Goudreau out, Huberto Uyghur and Kadri in. How does it change? Well, now you got Kadri and Kane going at it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say going at it. Who knows? Like, <laughs> but they seem like two guys that we'll get into a scuffle every once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just two competitive teams going at it for the most part. You know, it's two teams, two really good teams. Like, that that's a really good hockey team, right? Mm -hmm. They don't like us. We don't like them. We just, we want to beat them. They want to beat us. And I think that's what essentially makes it most exciting. It's just that it's two very competitive, good teams going after the same thing. How much do you, uh, do you, how much do uh, players in your room look at a team like Colorado and say, okay, that's what we need to get to. That's that, that's like the measuring stick for us here. Yeah, a lot. I mean, I think a lot of teams, they go after, they look at the team that's won it last, right? And, yeah. and, and try to pick little things from what they do. Tampa, same thing. But that's a really, really good hockey team. We want to get there. Uh, I think if we want to win the Stanley Cup, we're going to have to go through them again uh, at one point. So, yeah, hopefully it's uh, it's next season. They were a dominant team in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, what did you learn about what it will take to beat them? Like, when you guys were done, what did you think? They're the best team in the league. Uh, they're better than us, no question. I think that the series was a lot tighter than some teams might or some people might give us credit for. Mm -hmm. uh, I think every game, other maybe than game two, we, we could have really went either way. Anyways, they're the better team. But I think just the way they they just come in you, at you in waves, like there's no stopping. They come from the back end. They're DR all over the map. They're down the boards, pinching. They're hard. But it's just one line after another. There's no, you, you don't get to breathe. You know, the game never slows down because they're just, mm -hmm. they go, yeah. They drag you into deep water fast. Yeah. Like right away, we're going to deep water. And with speed, right? They're fast. Like they play, yeah. I saw them at the Stanley Cup final and I was like, every guy on that team is ripped and fast yeah. and relentless. Yeah. Like everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the way they were built. They, like their speed was just, I think, for 
a lot of teams uh, too much too much to handle, and for us probably in, in in that series too. Did you ever accept the Makar play in the the one that was close to offside? The, the offside, yes. Like I understood why it got called that way, but I also understood. I thought it was the right call, but I understood why everybody hated it. So I was wondering, from an Oiler playing in that um, game, how did you feel? I see it the same way. I understand it, and that's probably the rule. I just don't really. I don't really understand the rule. Um, I understand that it's a goal. I accept it. I just don't really understand the rule, to be honest. I, um, like, how many times does a player skate over over the line without, like, what, what you literally need to touch the puck at all times skating over the line? Like, that never happens. So, mm-hmm. it is what it is. It's uh I think it was a very uh, specific play. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's very few moments like that where it's so crucial and so yeah, it's centimeters, right? It's one one touch of the puck. So it, it is happened what it is. at the biggest moment. Yeah, so it, it, was, was, it was everywhere. It, yes. it was a really big moment. Actually, <laughs> if we go into the intermission tied two two, you know, who knows where that's going? But that was, and then they get a power play. They score. It's four two, right? Yes. Chasing that team four two is. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Let me ask you about um, young German hockey players. So I spent a couple of days in Mannheim earlier this week. Uh, had a nice conversation with Daniel Hopp, the, one of the owners of, uh, of Adler Mannheim, and talked to Mo Sider uh, about his experience. And Todd Holishko sent me a picture of you with uh, the Mannheim kids or at St. Andrews College, which for lack of a better way to describe it is sort of Canada's Shattuck St. Mary's. And Dave Manning runs this exchange program with um, uh, with St. Andrews College and, and Mannheim. And so there you were um, at St. Andrews College at the rink there with uh, with the young team. And I can only imagine like what kind of questions they would have for you because, you know, I was talking to some people in Mannheim and it's like, you know, for young German hockey players, like now more so than ever, whether it's Stutzlo, whether, you know, it's Cider and most specifically you have had a lot of success in the NHL. For young German hockey players, they can say, Look, that guy got to the NHL. Look, that guy's winning scoring titles. Look, that's a heart trophy. Like what do they talk to you about? Like what do kids say to you? Like you're at the St. Andrews College with these kids. What are they talking to you about? To be honest, it was very brief. Um I just, you know, spoke to them for a second and just said that you know, they should enjoy these tournaments outside of Germany because I was in that same situation. I sat in not that specific dressing room, but we used to play tournaments with Mannheim in Sweden, Finland. Uh, we played against Shattuck. Uh, we yeah. played in, in, in Canada. So those are always the most fun fun tournaments, right, where you're out of your league. You can compete against teams that are probably better than, than teams in your league. That's the fun part about it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just try to, you know, give them a little bit of encouragement, I guess, you know, that, anyone that sits in that dressing room can make it to the NHL. There's no doubt about it. You know, you keep having fun with it. That's that's most important too. So, yeah, hopefully there's there's a lot of kids that one day will will play in the NHL. Do you have a thought on why we're starting to now finally see this rise in German hockey? I think about it sometimes and I I have a hard time knowing why exactly. It just seems like the last five, six years, it's just been on the uprise constantly, which yeah. which is a great sign for, for German hockey. I just wonder if it's the U23 rule, if it's that simple. 
maybe, but there's no kids really that came to the NHL from that, right? Like Timmy and Mo, they were just that good. Like they didn't, yeah, they didn't, they play. didn't need, they didn't need that rule to be on the team. They didn't need that rule to get to the NHL. They're they're yeah. top five NHL picks. Like they're just that good, right? So, yeah. I think in in capacity, maybe it helps with more kids playing, but. I think with those two specifically, I don't think that rule had much to do. I think they were just good and they're skilled enough to to make it to the NHL. Does your dad take credit for it? He said it's all me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, probably. He he won't say it, but he probably thinks it. Yeah. yeah. Last one I have for you is just about the Oilers uh, again, and um, you know, one of your teammates was saying, "I think we're pretty good." Like, but the one thing he said that was interesting was with Keith and Smith gone. He said that sometimes you didn't always see it on the ice, but their personalities were big. Yeah. And they and they said that we had a lot of things that went sideways at times last year. And they said three guys, they really said, Hyman, attitude never changes. He's yeah. always the same. Yeah. But Smith and Keith were guys who pulled you into the fire. Yeah. And he wonders how the group is going to be without those personalities. Yeah. Do you think that that is something that has to be addressed or looked at? Yeah, um, I think... Obviously, guys that we're we're gonna miss, especially in that uh, in that factor. Um, you know, they they've been through mo- so much. Both of them, Dunkey has uh, just won everywhere he's he's been. Smitty, obviously, with his competitive nature and 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 his swagger and the way he handles himself. You know, he's he's intense. He drags you into it. You have no choice but to do it the same way, right? We're gonna miss them, uh, but that also leaves a lot of opportunity for other players to grow into that, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of players that are going to have to step up in that way and, you know, take on a, a, a leadership role on our team. So I think we'll be just fine. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Great. Thanks, Thanks man. Awesome, yeah. Really appreciate it. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You did it faster than Stutzla did, so you're smarter. Yeah. Like it's a, <laughs> you he had to think about it for a second. I did do it. <laughs> Right, a smoky break for our Thoughtline partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. With meats prepared and smoked in-house, it's no wonder why they're Canada's home for barbecue. Check them out, and as Elliot always says... Try the ribs. Yes, their ribs are smoked in-house every day until they fall off the bone. And don't forget, Montana's has all-you-can-eat ribs Every Wednesday. Head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar and take the all-you-can-eat rib challenge every Wednesday. Smoking good barbecue only at Montana's. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. 
Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Elliot, he's probably, Leon is, one of my favorite interviews in the NHL. Well, the thing I, I really like about him is that he's blunt. He doesn't say it forcefully, but he certainly knows how to get his point across. And he's, he's pretty funny. So I think there's a lot of people very curious to see what the Oilers are going to look like right from the start of the season. Uh, and like I said in the interview, I don't know that I've ever seen a better hockey player standing still. Than Leon Draisaitl. Well, well, he basically said that. I know. I, 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 I think the, the the performance that he that he, that he put forward last year in the playoffs still, to me, should be. I know that Colorado is going to be, of course, the Stanley Cup champions, so they're going to be the big story. But that performance by Draisaitl, man, that was that was one for the ages. I can only imagine what you know, getting through a day must be like, or putting on your socks tying your shoes up. What, what would that feel like, let alone playing an NHL game <sighs> with a high well, ankle sprain? Someone's hitting you on the wrong ankle. <laughs> hey, dummy, it's the other one. Great line. Uh, let's hear from Bill Daly. He's the deputy commissioner of the NHL. Always lots to go over here with Bill. Here he is on 32 Thoughts. Please be joined by Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner. And Bill, here we are in Paris. Uh, I was in Mannheim for a couple of days, spent some time with Daniel Hopp and the Mannheim organization. Elliot's going to Mannheim tomorrow, NHL games in Europe once again. And, you know, if you could, because international has always been, you know, uh, something that's been handed to you. This is the Daily File. If you could blue sky the NHL's participation in Europe or plan for Europe, what would it look like? I know getting there is a hard thing, but in your mind, like 10, 15 years down the road, what yeah. does the NHL look like here? So I would say continued growth on an incremental basis, right? Continued presence and growth on an incremental basis. I think we recognize the importance of kind of seeding these markets with investment, but also you know hockey programs at the grassroots level helping in that. Uh, we just entered into new player development agreements with, I think, 12 European countries, uh, eight-year agreements uh, pursuant to which we pay them for the players we draft from here, the mm-hmm. players we sign from here, the players who play in the league on a regular basis uh, from here. It's actually a new formula that we developed. Continued investment, what that looks like 15 years from now. Obviously, you know, I get the question frequently about whether we're going to have a permanent presence. Yep. Uh, with European teams here. And I certainly can foresee that. I just can't predict when that happens. Uh, I think the, the markets have to become a little more mature. I think, the, you know, the infrastructure is not the same as North American infrastructure. And I think that's an obstacle in the short term. Uh, but I certainly can see an NHL presence in Europe in the long term. Is there anything from European hockey, and I know it's different country to country, that maybe you look at and you say, hmm, I wonder if this could work in the NHL? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we look at European leagues and play in European leagues on a regular basis. Uh, you know, our, our, our scouting presence or our club scouting presence in Europe has never been greater. Uh, than it is currently. Whether there are ideas that come back from that, you know, maybe there are. Uh, but I think we have a pretty thoughtful group already who focuses on our game in North America, and uh, you know, they're, they're the monitors of our game and and 
You know, I think those issues and those ideas probably come up in our internal deliberations in North America. And probably I don't mm-hmm. won't even know that some have kind of European flavors. One more on international hockey, um, World Cup, and we all understand the situation in Ukraine and what that means for Russia and Russia's participation in hockey at a lot of different levels and a lot of different tournaments. Are you still moving along the same train track regardless of the Russian situation? Still an ongoing project, yes. And it's uh, it's not dormant. It's being worked on actively. We're in regular communication with the Players Association and the representatives of the Players Association move the project along. Uh, we're out in the market, both the media markets, uh, but also the sponsorship markets. Uh, we're still planning a, a international World Cup tournament in February of 24. I can't guarantee, uh, as I sit here today, yeah. that's necessarily going to happen. We expect it will. Can it be done with you know Russia where it is internationally right now? I mean, that's one of the things we have to evaluate, right? What is Russia's participation? Is it Russia's participation or is it the Russian players' participation? Mm-hmm. How can that be organized if, if we pursue that? You know, so that there are, are a couple of moving pieces, uh, dynamics that we'll figure out as we go along, but we don't think they're going to get in the way of having the tournament. You know, you were talking just a, a few minutes ago about uh, some things that are more mature in North America than Europe when it comes to international hockey. And one of the things I've heard over the years about the potential of an NHL division in Europe is will European fans pay the same ticket prices that North American fans will? Is that one of the things that still is a factor when it comes to a future European division? Oh, we certainly run into that issue, um, you know, when we put on the Global Series games, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. What will the market bear or what can it bear uh, for professional sports or for professional hockey at the NHL level? Uh, So, sure, that that is something that you have to take into consideration. But quite frankly, that, you know, you have to take that into consideration in North America as well when you're expanding uh, Hmm. in North America and what uh, local economies look like and can they support a professional sports franchise, you know, charging top dollar. Mm -hmm. Victor Mete released a statement the other day on social saying that he'd been interviewed uh, as part of the investigation into the World Junior uh, event in 2018. Where does that stand right now, Bill? It's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have interviews scheduled this week, um, so we we continue down the road. Is there a timeline on when you think we could get closure on this? Um, I'm hesitant to give a timeline because I just don't know how long it's going to take at the end of the day. As I said, it's moving along. Uh, in a perfect world, we'd love to have uh, finality or resolution you know, before training camp. But is that going to happen? I actually, at this point, I don't think it will. So, um, you know, I, we're going to do a thorough, comprehensive job, and we'll see where that leads us. Is everybody participating? Yes. Okay. You know, there was a an article by Robin Doolittle in the Globe and Mail where the victim was said that she wasn't comfortable with how public that this had become. Is she participating in the investigation? Um, she has participated to this point in a kind of defined way, but she has. Yes. Okay. Is there anything else that you'd want to say about this right now? No. The NHL and NHLPA are bringing back their rookie showcase in Washington right after Labor Day. Is there going to be any program as part of that in terms of the league and the players association talking to players about, 
look, we've seen too many of these things come to light and we have to change the way we behave in situations? Uh, the answer is actually we have a rookie orientation program, which follows up on the showcase that you're talking about. Yes. And so we're going to have uh, 120, 130 uh, of our, our young players uh, in that camp. And yes, there'll be attention given to that subject. As we head into this season, uh, it feels like because last year there was the Olympic question and things getting compressed and then the season stretched out and here we are in July and holy smokes, here we go. It's August and we're heading into September in training camps. Does it feel to you like finally this is going to be, and I'm going to always use the air quotes on this one, a normal season? Yeah, I mean, that's the plan. And it, it does feel like we're getting there. I mean, we, we've gotten there gradually, right? Um, and uh, you mentioned the fact that, you know, we're really only two weeks behind schedule for this summer. But I'll tell you, those two weeks are important weeks, right? Yeah. It, it makes the summer feel short because it is short. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that we're uh, turning the page very soon and starting the new season, it's, it's hard to believe the summer has gone by as fast as it's gone by. But we do expect that next year will be a normal season. That will uh, award a Stanley Cup at a normal time. Mm-hmm. We'll have a draft at a normal time. Free agency will start at a normal time. Um, and we'll all have our two and a half months summer instead of a month and a half. <laughs> you know, at the Board of Governors meeting last year, uh, you and the commissioner had talked about last season plus two more before the cap would go up. And then I heard some talk that maybe it was moved to last season plus three more. But I've been talking to some people in the last couple of weeks, and they're a bit more optimistic. They think that there's a chance the cap goes up sooner. Do you believe that's possible or no? I think it's possible. What would you think is the most likely scenario? Where are we kind of looking at it right now? I've seen some preliminary estimates recently, mm-hmm. which would make me more optimistic on the cap going up sooner. You know, whether that's in two seasons or three seasons, I think it's probably more likely than not in two seasons rather than three. Because you gave me kind of a look there that makes me say that you know something that uh, my the premise of my question might not have been very good. That's what I was wondering. No, no. I, I Actually, it might be good. Um, you know, the fact that our, our most recent numbers, both are kind of year-end numbers from last year, um, but also kind of projections for, for next year are very solid. Okay. The better we do collectively from a revenue standpoint, the faster that the we get to a stage where the cap can go, you know, is is tied again to revenue. We have to wrap here. Is there any other league business that people should know about? No. <laughs> See previous comment by E. Friedman. Uh, l- let me ask you w- one quick thing about the uh, the Ottawa Senators and that organization. Do we have a sense of where that situation is heading with ownership? Um, I don't think there's been any material change in kind of where they are. I think uh, uh, Eugene's daughters are kind of assessing the situation. Uh, obviously, management has has operated uh, as per usual over the course of the summer. I think they've had a great off season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the the people in Ottawa have uh, reason to look forward to a pretty good hockey team. So we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, but I have no inside information to break. Very good. Released. Thanks, Thank Bill. You. Thanks, guys.
That's NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Leon Dreisaitl and from Bill Daly. In our next podcast, you will hear from Jacob Markstrom and the Elliot ripped up Tim Stutzler. Oh, boy. He looks like if I'm an Ottawa Senators fan, there's a lot of reasons to be excited if you're a Sens fan, but Stutzler looks fantastic. He looks real good. Prime for a big season. Uh, final thoughts as we uh, bid everyone adieu from Paris. Nothing from free. Okay. He says, go to the music. So, a little something with some local flair. Taking us out, La Quifance. Here's Naps on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Je vais te faire kiffer les week-ends, ma jolie. Aime pas le plus du quartier, du shit, de la police. Toute la semaine comme le giant folie. Je fais des cendriers et canettes dans l'audi. Je passe les vitesses au palais vers Conti. Vas-y, garde-moi la barrette, là, je suis en Condi. Comme à l'ancienne, je mets le pôle au crocodile. Bronzage doré à l'huile de cocotier Voyager jusqu'au Nirvana Hôtel 5 étoiles Prendre le petit déj en pyjama Faire un jeep et tout sur le mont Fujiyama Faire le tour de la Thaïlande dans 500 Yamaha Faut que je quitte la France Elle a fait la petite frange C'est là qui pense C'est là qui pense Que je dépense Rejoins devant la défense C'est là qui pense You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.